There are these glass-bottomed footbridges in China. And there are different bridges, but there's this one bridge that has a particular sense of humor. And you can watch it on YouTube. You see there are people that are walking along it, then all of a sudden there's a big sound of a crack, and then underneath them what looks like shattered, gra uh, sh shattered glass spiders across that section of that, that section of the bridge. And they're, of course, I don't know how high above the earth underneath them. But what you see over and over again is this person just drops and they skitter and, the, and they don't care how they look and they just aim for that section of the bridge that still looks safe. And of course, it's a very sick sense of humor. And I wouldn't want it to happen to me. But of course, when you're watching on YouTube, you learn to see the funny side. But as you watch these, these movies of these glass bridges, uh, there are some people who are striding across it um, like they don't have a care in the world. And then there are some who are cautious and who are inching their way across. Um, and, then there are, and then there are some who are literally having a nervous breakdown there in the middle of the bridge. And then there are some who actually have to be dragged off the bridge because they've locked up and they cannot move because of the fear. So if you're on one of these right now, I wonder how would you respond? What would your response, would you be a strider? Or would you be someone who kind of hugs onto the, onto the side of the bridge? Would you be someone that's just melting? Uh, or would you be someone who actually has to be dragged off would you be afraid because of how things appear, or would you feel confident because you know that in order for this bridge to exist, it has to be made by engineers who are competent? Would you be nervous because of how things appear, or would you, or would you be confident because you know that it's made by engineers who are competent? Because remember this, that the person who's sauntering across that bridge isn't any more secure or safe than the person who's having a mental breakdown there in the middle of the bridge. They are equally safe because the strength of the bridge does not hinge on the confidence of the person that's walking across it. Last week, Lord Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, showed his glory to Peter and to James and John 9,000 feet up on the top of Mount Hermon. And the point of the transfiguration of this metamorphosis was to show that even if Jesus' aim, even though his goal is glory, the only way to get there is through suffering. And so when we read the account of the transfiguration, we are encouraged that even then when we find ourselves in the valleys of life, the fact that the valley is there proves that the mountain exists, right? You don't have a valley without a mountain. So because the valley is there, that proves that there is a mountain. And then after this glorious sound and light show, it says suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And I love that verse. And so Peter, James, and John, and Jesus make their 9,000-foot trek back from, from the top of Mount Hermon um, there to the bottom, only to be faced with a full-on brawl, a fight, Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 14. 
When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So the teachers of the law, the scribes were at it, hammering tongs with the crowd. And then Jesus appears and then suddenly everyone lights up. They're all excited and they run over to him. But Jesus is not having any of it. He says, he asked them, what are you arguing about and there's an awkward silence. No one really answers, except for this one guy who speaks up. He says, teacher, he says, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And of course, there's nothing new here, right? Uh, we've seen this, we've heard this many times through Mark. But what's interesting is that while the religious folks are arguing probably about theology, in the midst of this crowd is this needy man with a very legitimate need. I'm sorry, mate, we can't help you. We're talking about important things here. And so this man says to Christ, he says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Okay, hold on. This is new. We haven't read this yet. That Jesus' followers were, they tried and they failed to cast out a demon. And we aren't told why, at least we aren't told yet why. But it is kind of weird because these are the disciples who in Mark chapter 6 verse 7, who were specifically given authority over who was specifically given authority over evil spirits. Now it seems like these spirits have authority over the disciples. Something is wrong. Now, to show you how absurd this is, because I don't think we understand it, you know, you know we think, well, that's fair, you know, that like if I was face-to-face with a demon, I don't know who would win. But let me show you how, how absurd this is. Um, if you can imagine a police officer stopping someone for speeding... And this, and this police officer, she walks over to the car and she says, Hello, mom, do you know how fast you were going? And then the driver pulls out her ownership and her license. And just as, as the police officer is about to hand her her ticket, the driver says to her, You aren't able to do this. You don't have the authority. Who are you, some woman that went to school for a few years and all of a sudden you think that you have the right to yank me over to the side of the road who do you think you even are and then the police officer she's suddenly full of maybe doubt and she starts saying to actually she's right who am i and then the driver cheekily says why don't you come back and pull me over when you have some real authority? And then she leaves. This makes no sense, right? This wouldn't happen, but this is exactly what we're reading here in Mark chapter 9. This is how, how Jesus felt when his, when his followers, his men, his folks, his people had no authority over the spirits. Verse 19 you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
bring the boy to me. So we have to remember that Jesus has just come down off the mountaintop where his glory was revealed. We saw heaven on earth and now he's faced with worldly lack of belief and with the faithlessness of everyone in the crowd. Those nearest to him and the crowds themselves and the teachers of the law and you can just hear Jesus's frustration. You can hear it in his voice. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long, sh how long should I put up with you? He sounds like a parent who yet again is faced with his child's room that is messy. Once again, even though he said to them time and time again, this is what I expect. Now, remember that back in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, that Jesus' miracle-working hands were tied because of a lack of faith. There were things that he wasn't able to do because of the lack of faith of the people in that town. And so here we start to see the special relationship between Jesus and faith. Jesus responds to our belief to our faith, because faith is the essence of our relationship with him. It's faith that he can do what he says he will do. And so it's like the Lord has handed us this wonderful gift. Faith is the act of saying, thank you very much. Now I will see what's inside. That is faith. Faith is the basis of the sinner's righteousness. Faith that Jesus' perfect life and death has forged a relationship with sinners and a holy God. Without faith, we have nothing. Now, if you're anything like me, I would imagine that you're sat there in the pews thinking, man, if Jesus looked at my life right now, He'd also throw up his hands in frustration at me. I know how small my faith is. He'd be really disappointed in me like he was with that crowd then. But let's hold on to that thought for a while. Because if you're someone who is rather discouraged at your lack of faith, I hope that at the end of my talk here, here, here today that you will be encouraged. That's what I want here. And that's what I want every Sunday is encouragement based on truth. So let's keep going. Verse 20. Verse 20 says, So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, Note the father's words at this moment. He says, if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Because what's happened is that since this lad was a child, he's, he's had a kamikaze, unclean spirit inside him. And all that this spirit cares about is ruining its host. 
throwing it into fire, throwing it into water, whatever. Yet somehow, whether it's, whether it's this man looking after his son every second of every day, or, or perhaps it's the will of the child himself, or, or you know, the Lord's um, limiting hand, this lad is still alive. But it's only a matter of time. And then here, uh, and then here comes Jesus, and 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 this and this thing inside this boy throws him into a fit. And what I think happens is that is that, is that when Jesus turns up, this yes spirit knows that it's that its season on earth is limited now. It knows that its end is nigh, and so it throws him into a fit to kind of uh, harm him as much as he's able to knowing that it will shortly be thrown out. And this, what I see here, is a nutshell of what our lives are like. You know, the Lord is on his way. We are, we are living here, into the world, here in this world, and Satan knows that his season on earth is limited, and so he's thrashing around trying to hurt us as much as he can, knowing what the end is. But we have to remind ourselves that the end has already been decided that the war has been won, that Satan has signed um, his surrender there at the cross. And so Satan knows where he's headed and he's thrashing around, hoping that he can bring as many of us with him as he's able to. But Jesus is on the way. And in that sea of unbelief, that little spark of maybe starts to flicker. Verse 24. Straight away the boy's father exclaimed, straight away the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you Come out of him and never enter him again. Then the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And what we see here is that Jesus' followers, what they should what, what they should have been able to handle by themselves, they weren't. But then Christ comes along and he handles it. And so this boy is now free and he rises up as if one from the grave. And what that shows us is that when Jesus changes us, it's not merely a new lick of paint or to make us look nicer or more respectable. He spiritually raises us out of the grave he spiritually breathes life into our lungs. He turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That's what happened when we are resurrected with him. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So in the face of this lack of faith, this spirit was not movable. There was no way to move it. But then, when but but then, 
when we saw so Christ come, something changed and that lack of faith started to morph into something else. Not necessarily faith yet, but something that started to look like faith. And what, what happened is that this, this, this lad's father started to move into that zone that many of us can, we know what it's like. We say we don't, we do believe, but we don't believe. We have faith, but we don't have faith. It's this kind of limbo land. It's that zone of maybe you can do something, God, but I'm not really sure. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And it's with this level of faith that the boy is healed. You know, so the question that we have to ask ourselves is how much faith is needed for us to see our prayers actually answered? How much faith is needed? What is that level that's needed? Now, now I really want you to listen, right? Because, because, because what we're seeing is this arc. You know, it's it, 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 this arc of the story. So we have Jesus who moves, moves off that mountain where his wonderful glory is and faith is not needed, okay? Faith is not needed there in the face of Christ because he is there. So faith is not needed. He then goes down into the crown where, where, where there is this lack of faith and they're all having a fight. And then he meets a dad who says, I have faith, but I don't have faith. And then those closest to him ask him, why could you do it and we couldn't? And then Jesus tells them the answer. And the answer is this. This kind can only come out by faith. Is that what it says? This kind can only come out by really believing that the Lord's able to do what he said he would do. Is that what it says? No. It says this kind can only come out by prayer. Because what we've been reading all uh, right up until now has all been about faith or lack of. And so surely the end of that sentence should be faith. It can only come out by faith. But that's not what Christ says. He says this kind can only come out by prayer. And so there's a connection here that links faith with prayer. And we don't know what it is yet, but we know know that they're linked. But then we have to ask ourselves this, okay, Lord, fine, the answer's prayer, but we don't see anyone actually praying in the passage. So who, so, so whose prayer was this an answer to? Because there's nothing in the passage about anyone praying. No one kneels, no one looks up to heaven, no one raises their hands, no one does any of that stuff. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, what is prayer? And as many of us learned in Sunday school, prayer is what? Talking to God. And so we look at this passage and we say, who's actually talking to him? And then we see him. We see this man whose son is sick and he talks to Christ. And Christ is who? Is God. So this man is talking. He's praying. This is a prayer. And what type of prayer is he praying? Is it a prayer of unrelenting faith? Lord, I know that you can do this. I truly believe that you are able to heal him. No, this is his prayer. If you can do anything, take pity on us. 
and help us. This is his prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This man was there with this wonderful bridge of Christ in front of him. And he was uncertain. He was, he was on the brink. He was not sure if this bridge could hold him and his son. But he decided that he would take a shaky, wobbly step forward in prayer. And it's this shaky, wobbly prayer that released all of the resources of Almighty God into his life at that moment in time. This let Jesus have enough raw material for him to work with. Right in this limbo land of, I believe, but I don't believe. Help me. Because what we see here is that Jesus is not responding to a magnificent faith of, sh of really deep roots and unshakable resolve. He's responding to a prayer of unsteady faith. One shaky step after another, and the bridge holds, and the bridge holds, and the boy is healed. You know, we often think that we have to really believe 100%, and then we can pray. And so we, may, and so we wait, and we wait, and we wait. You know, we, we wait for that moment where we really believe 100%, and then we'll start praying. But what happens if that moment never comes? What happens if we never believe 100%? What happens if we always have a question? Now, you know, for me, my, my, my life is this. It's a constant walk between, yes, I believe, no, I don't. Yes, I do, no, I don't. Yes, I do, no, I don't. And I've been a Christian for many, many years. Sometimes I believe that the Lord is able to do something and my faith rises up and I pray really fervently. You know, and then there are times when I don't really believe and so I don't really pray. But here's the good news. I don't have to reach a certain threshold of faith in order to start praying. Because the reality, what we've just read in Mark chapter 9, is that prayer wakens up faith. Prayer wakens up faith. Which means I can start praying when, when my heart is cold. And I don't really feel like it. And I can pray when I'm not sure if the Lord's even there, if he even exists, or if this whole thing which I've signed my life up to is just a big farce. I can still pray in that moment. Because somehow in the act of prayer, faith stirs and faith wakes up. Prayer is like a clock that rings and wakes up faith and says, okay, now's the time to get up. It's faith's alarm clock. Maybe you're one of those folks who feels that, that, that you always have 100% faith that if you pray, then the Lord will move and he will answer your prayer. Great, then pray and keep praying and show me how to get that kind of life because I'm not sure what, how, how to. Or maybe you feel that, that, that your faith level is only 70% or 50% or maybe 30% maybe 10%. Maybe if you're truly real this morning, you would say, actually, you know what, if I'm honest, my faith's at zero. Pray anyways. And somehow in that limbo land between faith and no faith, 
something starts to stir and faith starts to grow and to wake up. And first of all, it's, it's, a, it's, it, it's a nervous faith. It's a really tentative faith. It's a faith that says, I'm not sure if that bridge is strong enough. But as you feed that fledgling faith with prayer, it gets nourished, it gets stronger. And then that faith in Christ starts to feed that prayer to Jesus. And the prayer to Jesus starts to feed that faith in Jesus. And on and on it goes. And that is what our lives look like. Faith feeding prayer, prayer feeding faith over and over again. Because what I know is that after this man had this prayer answered, he would have prayed like never before because he's seen an answer to prayer. He knew that this wonderful, wonderful bridge of Christ could support the weight of his son and him. And so he starts this lifelong journey over this bridge. One step and then one more. And that ratio of faith to lack of faith starts to shift. And this man ends up running up and down this, this wonderful faith bridge, looking at the view, reveling in this wonderful freedom that he has there on the bridge because he knows that it can hold him but were his prayers any more effective when they came from a place of 100% confidence rather than uncertainty? And the answer to that is no, because, because the structural strength of a bridge does not rest on the confidence of a person walking over it. But one thing I do know is that is that, that man moved from a place of uncertainty and fear on that bridge to loving it. He enjoyed it. He ran up and down. He jumped up and down. He loved it because he knew that it would never let him fall. But it all started here in this limbo land of, yes, I believe. No, I don't. It was a weak prayer. It was a baby prayer, but it was a prayer that was heard and that led him to faith. And so if you're stuck in your spiritual life now because you're waiting somehow for faith to magically appear so that you can start taking prayer really seriously, then understand that from what we read in Mark chapter 9, you've got it the wrong way round. Prayer is what moves us from lack of faith into faith. It's not faith that moves our prayer. It's prayer. And so so if you're there on the edge of the bridge waiting for someone to show you and to prove you that, 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 that where you're thinking of walking will hold your weight, you will never be convinced. The only way for you to know is to step out in faith through prayer. And then that wonderful confidence and that assurance comes afterwards. So my encouragement for you is is that you would, you would take a wavering, shaky step out onto this faith of Christ, one prayer after another, whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel like a prize fool or not, whether you feel that the Lord will answer your prayer or not, don't wait for faith. Start praying, because some things can only come out by prayer, and it's the prayer that says, Lord, 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 I believe, help my unbelief, and that's enough. That is enough. That is the prayer that moves the hand that moves 
this universe. This is the prayer that the Lord accepts. Some things can only come out by prayer. And that prayer is the most small, shaky little thing in the world. But it makes its way into the ears of the most magnificent, most mighty, most wonderful, most loving one in the whole universe.